are not studying that large of a passage of text. We are simply studying Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24, um, forgetting that little chapter reference um, was misleading. <laughs> uh, we will we'll still be here for a while, but that's okay, though. Praise God. Let's pray and ask the Lord to, to illuminate our hearts and minds. Father, we thank you for your gracious word, and we know that you are good and holy and just. So open our hearts and minds, Lord God, to receive the bread of life. Your word, Lord God, is bread. It is nourishment. And man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And here we have your word. Feed us this day, for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, one of the things we, we need to, to address before we get going on our text today is those of you who may have read ahead or those of you who um, might be familiar with this passage of text will realize that we're kind of coming into the middle of a conversation. We're interrupting a conversation for the most part. Basically, Jesus has been talking. He's been invited to a dinner or actually probably more a lunch, an afternoon meal. Um, and he's been invited to this afternoon meal, and he's had a few things to say. And last week we saw some of those things that he had to say um, in regards to um, numerous issues. One of the things that, that Jesus was dealing with in this mealtime conversation was that God is always compassionate. So they, they, it was a Sabbath day, and so probably after their time at the synagogue, they went home and, and, and had a meal, and he was invited over to um, a person's home, probably one of the, the, the leaders of the synagogue, and there were other leaders of the synagogue and other religious leaders there. And there, became, there came a man who was ill and needed healing, and so he confronted the religious leaders on whether it is proper or not to heal a person on the Sabbath day. In other words, is it proper to show compassion on a day of rest? And we learned that God, that it is always appropriate to show compassion to somebody, even on a rest day, that God is always extending mercy and compassion to his people. Even on Sabbath days, God is extending compassion to his people. And so, yes, it is absolutely appropriate to be compassionate on a Sabbath day and because compassion never rests. God is always compassionate. We also saw Jesus uh, address this issue of humility as some of these religious leaders were um, exalting themselves. Jesus countered that by saying, rather you should um, seek to humble yourself, not exalt yourself. And then finally, Jesus dealt with the issue of generosity. When you have a meal, invite somebody who can't pay you back. Invite the, the, the poor, the lame, the, um, the blind, the crippled. Invite those people who have no means to pay you back because oftentimes people would use kind of a you scratch your back, I'll scratch, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine type of a mentality. So listen, why don't you come on over to my house and I can kind of angle for, for a good position with you and you and I. Uh, that way, if I ever need a favor from you, you can extend it to me, that type of thing. And Jesus would say, how about this? Extend hospitality and kindness and generosity to people who have no ability whatsoever to pay you back. And so that's where we ended, ended our, our, 
our message last week, but that was not the end of Jesus' message. So today, we're going to pick up Jesus' message. And just by way of preview then, just give you an idea of the direction that we're going to be heading. It is, well, we, we, we learned last week that the leaders were seeking places of honor at uh, at the table, if you could sit nearer to the host, that would be a place of honor. But today what we're going to learn is that while the leaders seek seats of honor, they actually risk losing any seat at the great banquet of God. They actually risk losing any place at the banqueting table of God. And then, uh, just a little cliffhanger to keep you awake until um, we get to the end, there is a, this parable has a shocking ending. And I tell you, it is a shocking ending, or at least it was shocking to the people who were listening to this message. And so um, that's where we're going to go. So let's go ahead. Let's uh, read our text today and uh, follow along with me in Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. Um, this is God's inerrant word. When one of those who reclined at the table heard him, with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servants, Go out quickly to the streets and to the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to his servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. And this ends the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Well, I want to begin with this statement by one of the dinner guests, one of the people at the table where he says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And I have to think that this is kind of an awkward statement because Jesus has just been challenging the religious leaders. He's been saying, basically, you guys are doing all things wrong. Have you ever been in an awkward situation and you don't know what to say, so you make the statement that everybody's going to agree with? So like, well, at least... God is good, and everybody, uh, and it kind of brings the temperature down just a little bit. I, I, I have an idea. That's what's going on because Jesus has now just confronted these very pious individuals that maybe they're not so pious after all. And so this individual stands up and makes this the statement that he believes. Everybody say, "Well, yeah, that's true. Amen. Praise, praise God." And then you kind of move on to another subject and, and move along. Well, first of all. Jesus isn't going to move along to another subject, but he will use that as a a launching pad to uh, teach them a new lesson. But he says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So I guess the first thing we should probably consider is what what in the world is he talking about? 
What does it mean? What is he referring to when he says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God? Well, of course, that's a, a large sub- subject, but basically it is this lavish celebration of the redeemed. It is the time where sin and death have been conquered, when the veil has been lifted and we see God as he is, that we see the face of God as recorded in the book of Revelation, where death is overcome, where there are no tears, there is no more sin. All of those things have been overcome and it is portrayed in scripture as a great banquet, a place where we are celebrating with God the consummation of his plan and that he has brought about all of his plans and purposes. And we see this in our text. Uh, We actually read it earlier in one of our opening scriptures, but I think it's an important text to read. We see it in, or to reread, we see it in Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9, where The prophet writes this, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. The Lord's going to bring about for who? For all people, this grand banquet, this great feast. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever and he will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth for the Lord has spoken. I love that ending. For the Lord has spoken. This is going to happen. This is not some something that we simply wish for. The Lord has spoken. He will swallow up death forever. There will be this banquet. All right. That was by uh, the prophet Isaiah, but we see it picked up by John in, in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 19.9. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God, which I think would be parallel to, for the Lord has spoken. All right. This is going to happen. And then we also see a reference. I won't go to it, but uh, we'll see it again when we get to Luke chapter 22, 16. This is what he's referring to. This banquet of God is this this time where um, God's plan, his redemptive plan has come to complete fruition. And we all sit around and celebrate the glory of God in doing what God has said he was going to do. Now, there is an underlying assumption with this statement. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. The underlying assumption is this, that he's applying this to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, especially those who are sitting around the table. That it is the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the very pious Jews who will be the ones participating in this particular meal, the one where um, God swallows up death forever. That's the underlying assumption of this statement. And I will back that up because we read, it's a very, very interesting when you, in, in Jewish literature, there's a, there's a book called the Targum. And the Targum is, I guess the best way we could describe it is it is a, a paraphrase of the Hebrew scriptures. So just like we have Bibles that are paraphrases. We have what we would call literally essential translations, like I read from the ESV. Some of you may have New American Standard. These are literally essential or literally um, essentially literal um, translations. But then we also have some paraphrases, like the Message or the Living Bible. These are they're, they're paraphrases. They're, they're not too concerned with 
translation accuracy? Well, the Jews also had a paraphrase. They had a, a message version of their, the Hebrew scriptures called the Targum. And when you look at the Targum and you look at that passage in, in um, Isaiah chapter 25, it gets utterly and completely twisted. In other words, it's not for all people. In other words, what ends up happening is God is angry and everybody who is not part of, um, who is not a Jew is cast out. But notice in the, the, the literal translation that all people, that gets eliminated in the Targum. We also read some, um, uh, an apocryphal book by, called uh, Enoch and uh, it's worth reading. It's not scripture, but it's worth reading. But we read in the book of Enoch that um, God will cast out all Gentiles and cast out all those um, who are outsiders and he will only bring into this feast those who are um, good, pious Jewish boys. And we read that in, in, in the book of Enoch. And then we also read from the Qumran community. Um, the Qumran community was a, was a soup of, was a group of... Uh, hyper-conservative law keepers, I mean mosaic law keepers, who lived just outside of, uh, uh, out by the Dead Sea in the desert. This is where we found some of the Dead Sea scrolls there in their community. And the Qumran community was super, super um, conservative. They, they made the Pharisees look like a bunch of liberal hypocrites. Well, a bunch of liberal all right. So <clears throat> they believed that the Pharisees were, were, were so liberal that God couldn't have anything to do with them. And they were the true group. And, and in, in their writings, they said, listen, there is going to be a banquet of God, but the blind and the lame and the poor and the crippled will not be present. So when this gentleman stands up and says, blessed is everyone who eats at the table of the eats bread and the, at the table of the Lord at this great banquet, he is, the underlying assumption is he is not referring to Gentiles, the crippled, the blind, the lame, the poor, or anybody like that, but folks like us. Good, pious, religious leaders like us, like you and me, Jesus. You'll probably be there too, Jesus. It'll be great. So on the one hand, he makes a very true statement. That is, it is a blessing to have an invitation and to be present at this banquet. No doubt about it. His, his beatitude, and that is a beatitude, it is true. Blessed. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. I don't think we can deny that. However, Jesus is going to waste no time in calling his companions and us to a self-assessment. Are you sure? Are you one of those ones who will be at the banquet of God? Let me tell you a parable. And so he tells them a parable of the great uh, banquet. So are we good so far? I know I kind of went off into Targums and Enochs and Qumran community. But, but I think that that foundation, that understanding of, of the mindset of what's going on, the mindset and the assumption behind that statement, I think is really important for us as we build on what Jesus is saying. And so Jesus then tells this parable of the great banquet. And in this parable, invitations are sent out. And so 
Um, in other words, many people are invited to this major event. And apparently, these invitations are accepted. And so, basically, what would happen, in, from what I understand, in, in, in that day and age, you would send out an invitation. Hey, I'm going to have a big party. Are you in? Yeah, of course I'm in. I'll be there. Count me in. I'll be there. Absolutely. And so, it was kind of an RSVP. Are you coming? Yeah, I'm going to be there. How many are you bringing? I'm bringing 10. Okay, so we're going to have this, this, this uh, the, the invitation is sent out. And that makes sense, right? Because the, the host is going to prepare the food based on how many people say, yeah, I'm in. So if 100 people say, yeah, I'm coming, he's going to prepare food for 100 people. And you have to remember, preparing food in the, these days would have been uh, much more uh, time-consuming than for us. I mean, imagine um, cooking a meal for 100 people. All right? Now imagine that you have to actually, like, do all of the preparations from going out in the yard and getting the chickens and the cows and uh, the lambs and the goats and all of the things that we are going to have. And you've got to collect all the food. Remember, you've got to get all the, the crops. And, I mean, if you want a good salad... You know, you're going to have to, somebody's going to have to grow all of this stuff. So anyways, and, and prepare everything for this. It took some time. So are you coming? Yeah, I'm coming. How many of you are coming? Great. I'm going to prepare a meal for that number of people who have committed to come to my banquet. So now dinner's ready. Get dinner ready and you send out another invitation. Okay, you guys, dinner's ready. Let's go. It's time to eat. And at that point now, people start saying, oh, you know i got more important things to do. The banquet, first of all, I want you to note that the banquet is ready now. You'll be, this parable begins with the banquet is in the future. But the banquet now is happening. The food has been prepared. It is no longer a future event. The banquet is now happening Failure to show up is an affront to the host who invited you and to whom you agreed that you would come. To not show up, the failure to appear after your commitment, after receiving the gracious invitation and saying, yes, I'm happy to be part of that. I, I, I love that invitation. I'm coming. And failure to show up is, the, is a slap in the face of the host who invited you. And so, invitations are sent out and excuses come in. And these are three relatively trivial, not relatively, they're trivial excuses. And I won't go into great detail about them, but they all began alike, or they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. They did not have the internet. You could not take a virtual tour of this piece of property on your computer. You had to go see it before you purchased it. And it only makes sense to go see it because drainage and water and all sorts of things were really important. If it, if it had too much shade or not enough shade, perhaps crops wouldn't grow on it. You needed to see it in person. And he says, I need to go see my field. In, the, in other words, uh, did you really purchase a field without looking at it first? And the second person has a very similar Excuse. I bought five yoke of oxen and, I, can, and I, I need to go and examine them. Please have me excused. So this was a fairly wealthy man. Generally, two oxen were um, necessary to, to 
provide for a basic family farm, five oxen. This individual was obviously fairly wealthy, um, but I need to go inspect my oxen. I'm not coming to your dinner because I have oxen to inspect. And the th- So please have me excused. Then the third one says, I just got married. Notice he doesn't even ask for an ex- to be excused. He's just like, yeah. I just got married. Not even coming. The focus here is on this end time banquet. And Jesus is making the point here that other concerns are in the way of receiving him and participating in the celebration. The invitation has gone out. You have been invited, but other things, and here these are both financial and familial. Um, These excuses are financial and familial in nature, and basically the invitation's gone out, you've accepted, but now there are other priorities in your life. When it's actually time to come and participate in the banquet, which is happening now, you've decided there are other things that take priority over being, over participating in the banquet. See, here's the thing. The invitation is one thing. The presence, being present is another thing. It's one thing to be invited. It's a whole other thing to actually show up. And so, these excuses are lame. These excuses are even insulting to the host. This is where Jesus is going. Remember, blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. The invitation has gone out. Not have you been invited? Not simply have you been invited. It is: Are you actually going to arrive, or have other things? What other things in your life, perhaps, are keeping you from attending what God has prepared? Which you said, "I yeah, I want to go. I want to be part of that. I'm there." But I've got other things that are much more important at this time. The host of this particular feast has two very interesting, two, two reactions, one expected and one a little bit surprising. Look at the first reaction he has. The master of the house became angry. Well, of course, <clears throat> I got all this food. I've gone through all of this effort. I've done all of this work. And now you're not even going to show up. I think we can understand. Yeah, a little bit of anger. But here's the interesting thing. What does he do with his anger? And there's the interesting thing. His anger is expressed by grace. In other words, what am I going to do? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite more people. Go get more people. A couple things we should note on this. Note this, that the party is not canceled. The party is not postponed. Because somebody refuses to participate, the party continues just as the host planned. The banqueting table of God is going to occur whether or not you are there. Your presence does not determine the timing or the reality of the banquet, the great banquet of God. It's going to happen. And it's going to happen according to his time frame. So the time of blessing is now. And one's acceptance or rejection of the invitation has no bearing whatsoever regarding the master and his plans. The master has a plan. 
And the plan is I'm going to have a particular banquet on a particular day and it's going to happen. If you're not there, I'll go get more people. I'll just extend grace. And I will find, there will be others who, will be, who, who want to be part of this banqueting table. And so, fine. Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. So look who's coming to dinner. It's not the well-groomed, pious religious leaders sitting around the table necessarily. It is the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Of course, this list recalls verse four, chapter 14, verse 13. And we see this all the way through Luke. Luke, again, loved the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. This would be the group of people that was often excluded from Jewish worship and was certainly excluded from the Qumran community. This is a slap in the face to these religious leaders. These are the people who you say will have no place whatsoever in the banqueting hall of the great feast of God and Jesus is now telling them a parable. Go get the very ones who you want to exclude. You won't come. They will. Go get them. This now pictures, I believe, Jesus' offer to the common people um, after they have been so neglected by the religious elite. And so those who had normally been excluded, oftentimes these were individuals who had been excluded from worship um, uh, in the temple. They were put on the outside. They were not allowed near to God. They were not allowed near to the Word of God. They were on the fringes of the worship or not even allowed whatsoever. Jesus said, well, go get them. Bring them. This is grace extending out. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 through 6, tells us, The eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. This is whom Jesus is referring to. And then also in Isaiah chapter 29, verses 18 through 19, We read, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see, the meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel, for the ruthless shall come to nothing, and the scoffer will cease, and all who watch to do evil shall be cut off. In other words, the poor and the blind and the lame and the poor, these are the ones who are going to be part of the table of the Lord. This is what has been been talked about from the prophets all the way onward. Jesus is saying, you're refusing the invitation. Now go get the poor and the lame and the blind and the crippled. We should note here the necessity of effort. That is, such people may not easily be found. In other words, go find them. I believe there's an evangelistic call there. Go get them. They're not just going to show up at the door. They're not going to just show up because they pass by the banqueting hall and smell good food. They will simply assume that's not for them. You need to go get them. A third invitation goes out. Because 
He says, yeah, well, I went and got all the, the, the poor, the blind, the crippled, and the, and, and the lame, and there's still room. What do we do? More grace. That's what we're going to do. Go get more people. Only now we begin to see that the abundant generosity of the host. It says, now what I want you to do is go out to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the uh, poor. And then the servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done. There's still room. And the master said to the servant, go to the highways and the hedges and compel the people to come in that my house may be filled. Again, the abundant generosity of the host. These are those outside of the villages or towns. All who will respond are welcome. I think most likely this is a picture of the gospel that is going out into all the world, especially into the Gentile areas. And uh, certainly we see a, um, a parallel in Romans chapter 15, verses 7 through 16. Listen to what God says in this. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people extol him. And again, in Isaiah, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles Hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. Let's say this together. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. You should all know that passage of of text by now. Now you know where it comes from. That was our last year's benediction. Compel them. This has been um, often misused. In other words, some have interpreted this that in order to get them in, we need to use force. Bring them in by the sword. That's not the idea here. That's that's totally foreign to Scripture. Here's the proper way. Compel them. In other words, you're going to need to convince them because they're going to think this is too good to be true. You mean me, somebody who has no association with some rich guy over there, and he's calling me to join him for a dinner that is overly abundant, like I've never seen in, in all of my life. My, grandpa- my parents have never seen. My grandparents have never seen. I can't even imagine. And you're telling me that this guy wants me to come, and I'm not even going to be the servant there. I'm just there as a guest. That's what you're telling me. Because that's never happened in all of my life. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm compelling you. I need to convince you that this dinner is actually being made for you. Because, see, people aren't going to, like I said earlier, people aren't going to just walk by, smell the food, and say, oh, this must be for me. It reminds me when we would do our, our, uh, our block party out here. And we'd be cooking hamburgers and hot dogs and all that smells really good. The band's playing and everything's going great. And people are driving by and walking by. And they're not coming. And we would go out on the street and say, why aren't you coming? and say, well, I just thought it was a private party. I didn't know it was for me. Oh, no, no. It's absolutely for you. Come on in. Really? Free hamburgers and hot dogs and chips and music and games? Yeah, it's all for you. And, okay, well, that sounds good. Then we got the smart idea. Why don't we go out there with signs? Everyone welcome. So people driving by, hear the music, smell the food, see the sign. Yes, you are welcome. 
tell them to come in. Tell them, usually you hear, if it's too good to be true, it is. This is the exception to the rule. If it's too good to be true, it usually is. No, this is too good to be true, and it's still true. That the grace of God will extend to folks like you and me. And that he would invite us to his banqueting table and this lavish spread, not on any merit of who we are, not by, based on rank or education or anything like that, but just simply because he sent out an invitation, extended his grace to us, and we said, yeah, I'll show up for that. That sounded like a great idea. Man, I'd love to go to something like that. And so we should note that one needs to be convinced because many people today are going to find it difficult that the offer of Jesus Christ is for them. Compel them. So on the one hand, there is a missionary mandate here. There's an evangelistic mandate. We need to go out into the highways, into the byways, and into under the bridges and wherever people may be found and invite them to come in. But the offer of the banquet is for them. And you may have to actually... Um, Convince them. Perhaps we call this apologetics or somehow showing that no, no, the offer really is for you. That it's a legit offer. There's no trap. There's no ulterior motive. All you got to do is be there and all of the gifts and all of the hospitalities of the Master are for you. And while it sounds too good to be true, it actually is true. We live in a society that is used to being scammed, that is used to being advertised to, that is used to being manipulated, that is used to being um, sold and marketed to. We're not marketing anything. We're just simply saying, here's a free banquet. Daryl Bach, in his commentary on Luke, wisely I think concisely states, the whole point is that the invitation to the banquet comes through Jesus. The blessings he offers are beginning to arrive. If the original invitees do not come, the supper will still be given and the blessings still will come. They just go to others and many others will respond. Folks, the offer went out. And if somebody refused the offer, it just goes to others. But here's the key. The banquet still happens banquet was going to happen. Now we get to what I'll just call the mic drop. And I have to warn you, we do have a grammar geek warning here. If you're you're new with us every once in a while, we do need to delve into the grammar of issues. And uh, we go against every rule of preaching that you will learn in preaching school. They preaching school teachers will always tell you to not do what I'm about to do. Never, ever, ever do this. Don't. Just what you don't do. But we do it all the time because that's the way we roll. We are, we live on the edge, I'll tell you. This is how edgy we are. I want you to take a note of the pronoun change. Whoa, I know. Isn't that crazy? Man, aren't we? We are nuts here. 
Look at the change. Well, it doesn't show up in your English Bible, but I'm going to tell you, there is a pronoun change and it is a mic drop moment. Verse 24, for I tell you, the you is second person plural. I tell y'all. I tell you all. In other words, who's, do you, do you see the significance here? The parable ended in the previous verse. This is the application. Jesus is now speaking. The I here is not the master of the house. The I here is Jesus. And Jesus is now making an application of the parable. The parable's ended. The parable ended in verse, what, 23. And now Jesus says, I tell you all, sitting here at the banqueting table, this is now the application of the parable I just told. I just told, and this is the application to y'all. So I, Jesus, tell you Pharisees, None of those men who are invited shall taste of what? My banquet. None of you will taste of my banquet. The banquet has begun. It is Jesus' banquet. The religious leaders are listening to him and are welcome, but if they refuse to attend, the party still goes on with the people of the land. That is, the outcasts of Israel and the Gentiles will be part of my banquet. Let's look at this passage of text in Isaiah chapter 56. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant. These, these, the foreigners, I will bring into my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Thus, the Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him beside those already gathered. And Jesus saying, I'm telling you all right now. You have refused my invitation, but it's my banquet. And it's going to happen. And if you don't show up, it is simply by your refusal, not because of any lack of invitation on my part. I've invited you. And if you refuse to come, it is based on your own self-exclusion. And so Israel's leadership has missed the opportunity to participate in the blessings of the banquet of God. Like I said, it is not due to lack of invitation, but by their own refusal to attend. And I should note here, folks, we are going to extend an invitation to the banquet of God. And the banquet of God is going to happen whether or not one accepts or receives the invitation and decides to show up. However, the banquet will go on whether you refuse or accept it or not. I'm just saying, you should be part of it. It seems too good to be true, but it's really true. And so we will extend an invitation to the banquet of God. It is Christ's invitation, and one can only come through Christ's invitation. Folks, this should be um, an, an imperative to us that we must go and extend the invitation to the highways and to the byways and under the bridges and over hill and over dell and wherever we may go, we need to extend the invitation of the banquet of Christ and compel people that, yes, the, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus and you can have it. I don't care where you've been or what you've done, how bad it's been, how long it's been, but the free gift of God is available to you There's the invitation, and I'm going to compel you. I'm going to urge you 
We see this in Romans. Paul is like pleading with his people. Listen to the message. Oh, I wish that I could stand in your place and be accursed and you would hear the message, but hear the message. And so the gospel message is that there is a God who has created all things. He is Lord of all things. He has created everything, including you, and therefore you and I are accountable to this God. But we have wandered away because of our sin. That is our rebellion. We have, we have sought our own ways. We have said no to God. We said, no, I think I'll do things my own way. I think I got, I got this figured out. That's called sin. Sin is lawlessness. God has given us a law, a, a means by which we stand in relationship to him, but we've broken that law and therefore the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death um, and that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is nobody who does not sin and all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God and that the, that the wages of sin is, is death. But here's the good news. The good news is this, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's the invitation. You, the invitation comes through Jesus. It doesn't come through me. It doesn't come through holding a particular, going to a, this church or whatever. It has, the invitation comes through Christ. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so I am going to compel you. I know most of you, I know most people here have a relationship with Christ, perhaps somebody listening um, on the internet. But I, I don't know. Some people have been in church for decades. And all of a sudden, one day, the Spirit of God speaks to their heart and they say, oh my goodness, I'm not. I have never responded to the invitation. Oh my goodness. So, this is why we share the gospel often. In, in my seminary class, I give an invitation to seminary students. Why? I'm not assuming they're saved. Just because they're studying for ministry doesn't mean they're saved. Just because they're in ministry doesn't mean they're saved. We extend the gospel invitation. I share the gospel with myself. Just to encourage myself. But anyways, the gospel is for you and I would compel you. If it sounds too good to be true, it's not. And the Lord Jesus will come and fill you with his Holy Spirit and enable you and empower you to live out the life that he has called you to live. You're going, I just don't think I can live as a Christian. I agree, you probably can't. But if Christ is living in you <laughs> through his Spirit, you'll be amazed what he does to your heart. How he changes your heart to love the things that he loves. Anybody in this church would love to speak with you. I'd love to speak with you about those things and um, talk with you about what it means to live out a life in alignment with um, the good news of Jesus Christ and to know that the banquet has begun. The time is now. It, there will be a time where we sit around with God where death will be swallowed up and you can be part of that whole experience. So I'll conclude with, with a few things here. <clears throat> and the first thing we should note is the exaltation of Jesus. Jesus is saying, the, the man begins with, blessed is everybody who eats the banquet, he, at, at the, eats bread at the, in the kingdom of God, and, and, and he had no idea, but Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm the guy. It's my banquet. My banquet. I'm telling you, 
Don't refuse my invitation. It's my banquet. Here is God in the flesh saying, I'm not just a dinner guest. I'm not just sitting here hanging out with you guys after the synagogue worship. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And the feast you're going to attend is my feast. I'm inviting you. Don't refuse. So we see this exalted position of who Christ is. Christ is no ordinary, run-of-the-mill Jewish rabbi. He is a Jewish rabbi. But oh, he is so much more. And this parable, I think, exalts Christ. The other thing we see is the value placed on missions. And I'll just go ahead and say missions and evangelism. In other words, somebody needs to take the invitation. Somebody needs to take the good news to those who have yet to be invited. Believe it or not, there are people who have never been invited. Paul talks about this. How can somebody hear if somebody doesn't go and tell them? Somebody needs to go and tell them. And here's the thing. You're the ones. Me. Us. All of us. We're the ones who are to go and tell them. You have the invitation. Now go give it to somebody. Go hand it to somebody saying, look it, there's a banquet going on. And you can be part of it. It's, great. it's a great party. You need to be there. Everybody who's anybody can be there. Really like who? Like the poor and the lame and the blind and the, and, and the outcasts and the nobodies. And a lot of really great people as well are people that we see as great. So that's the first, second thing. The other is response. Some will make trivial excuses as to why they cannot attend. This will insult the host. Folks, what's your excuse? Why are you saying, no, I, I don't really want to be part. I, I got other things to do. I got more important things to do. What more important thing do you have to do than to secure eternal life? What more important thing do you have to do? Nothing. Nothing is more important than that. And then finally, we should consider judgment. And I want you to note that the judgment is self-imposed. It is not like God saying, oh, I'm going to keep you out. No, everybody who shows up at the door is welcome to come in. The only ones who are cast out are the ones that just don't show up. So nobody can attain, attend the banquet without the invitation. However, nobody can remain outside except by deliberate refusal. I want to repeat that. Nobody can attend the banquet without the invitation. So it's up to you and me. God has commissioned us. I don't say it's up to us like God somehow is... Dependent. But God has chosen by his own sovereign will to use folks like you and me to bear the invitation. And nobody can come to the banquet without the invitation. Nobody comes without the invitation. On the other hand, nobody can remain outside except by deliberate refusal. So, I'll close with this. <clears throat> Let's keep the feast. We're about to celebrate our potluck, so I guess this is an appropriate message. We're going to have a feast. Nothing like the feast that Jesus has prepared, but perhaps a foreshadowing of what will happen. And truly, I think I'll conclude our message today with the way it began, with a very true statement. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And I pray that every one of you is blessed. Let's spend a few moments and reflect on what maybe God might speak to our hearts about this.
and then um, we'll pray and sing our final song.